Welcome to the Focus on Customer Service podcast, presented by Social Media Today, where we talk to brands you know and love who are laser-focused on using social media to deliver amazing customer experiences. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dan Gingas and Dan Moriarty. Hi, guys, and welcome to episode 27 of Focus on Customer Service podcast. It's Dan Moriarty, as always, joined by Dan Gingas. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. Really good to be back at it and uh, very excited for today's podcast. Absolutely. And and today's podcast is one we've been trying to get scheduled for a couple of months and getting scheduled has been challenging, but we're super excited to invite to uh, introduce Wayne Huang, who is a researcher at Twitter. Um, And some of you may have seen back in December, he actually put out some research around the revenue impact of doing social customer service on Twitter. Wayne, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you very much, Dan. It's wonderful to be here, and what you guys do is so important. So I'm super excited we could finally make this happen. Absolutely. Super excited you could join us. Um, so why don't you start just by telling us, obviously you're a researcher at Twitter, what made you decide to start looking at social customer service? Yeah, so I think for a lot of us who work here at Twitter, it's, uh, it comes from personal experience. So I joined Twitter as employee um, almost two years ago, and this customer service research actually started out as a hobby of mine. In fact, I remember when I was interviewing for this job, they asked me a, a pretty standard interview question, which is, okay, so imagine you had no constraints. What's a cool research project that you want to do? And I actually said, oh, I want to quantify the value of customer service. And I'm actually not sure that how well they took that, but um, they ended up hiring me. And you know, for the better part of two years, uh, most of my daily work has actually been more on the brand and ad side of the business. So, you know, we at Twitter, we work with brand advertisers to constantly prove that our ads work at selling stuff. Um, so we do a bunch of surveys and analytics to demonstrate uh, that our ad products are giving positive return on investment. When we even do some pretty crazy things like neuro research. So this is literally one time when we um, brought a bunch of Twitter users into the lab and we hooked their brains up with electrodes and we were looking to see like, you know, what makes them use Twitter? What makes them very emotionally excited when they're using Twitter? And so we asked them to uh, watch TV and use Twitter on their phone at the same time. And we saw that people's emotional receptivity really spiked when you know they're using Twitter at the same time as they're watching something live. And so that got me thinking, it's like, oh, that's really interesting. Like there's this kind of, you know, when the light bulb goes off in your head and you have this very electrifying moment, which happens often when you interact with brands on Twitter. I think for a lot of users, including myself, you know, when you first join Twitter, it's a little bit mysterious as to what you're supposed to do. But then when I started interacting with brands on Twitter, and especially when you have customer service interactions with them, and then they respond and it's, it's, it's almost crazy. It's like you weren't expecting that at all. And like that little like kind of electrifying moment when uh, there's a moment of happiness when you weren't expecting this at all. So that's really what I was trying to get at. It's like social scientists have for a very long time had a problem measuring happiness. Like how do you even start to quantify that? And here we saw that, well, there's definitely this moment of like happiness and you just were not expecting someone to reach out and help you so quickly on a public medium like this. You know, there's so many tweets out there. How would they know to like reach out to you and, and be so responsive? Whereas like, you know, if you're in the line or on the phone, you're desperately trying to reach customer service, you're on hold for 45 minutes. I mean, that's our expectation. And so it's just, it was just incredibly unexpected to see that on, on Twitter in this medium, you, know, you can get such fast responses. And so that's where I started thinking about, okay, so how do you measure that increased receptivity, that moment of happiness, that light bulb going off. 
And so uh, that's when we started thinking about perhaps is there some way to quantify this by doing some kind of experiment, by doing a survey where we're not just asking people directly, but somehow we're kind of like in the background detecting their willingness to pay, trying to see if perhaps there's some kind of increased valuation that they're placing on brands when they have this lightning bulb or this light bulb moment when basically a brand has made an impact on that person's brain. And what's so cool about this research, too, is that, you know, this research was done sometimes up to six months after people had these positive customer service interactions on Twitter. And yet we still found that there was increased willingness to pay for sure for these people. And so it's it's just really rewarding to me as a someone who's trained in social science, who's always you know grappled to of how do you measure happiness, how do you encourage people to be nice to each other, and to see that it actually happens, like it's very real, it's not at all ephemeral. That when you're when you're nice to other people, especially online too, there's definitely a, something that registers deep inside people's emotions, and they remember it. Um, they're willing to pay more for it. That's fascinating, Wayne, and I have a lot of follow-up questions, but I'm going to focus on something that you said around uh, customer expectations, which is something that's really interesting to me, and I have talked with a lot of brands and even written about how when brands meet or miss expectations, it, it that triggers something in people today, especially with social media, and causes them to usually run to social media to share their experience. And you had mentioned about exceeding their expectations on Twitter. And my question for you is whether you sense or whether you have any data that shows that expectations are changing at all, because we are used to all these offline channels that tend to be slow and cumbersome and, and annoying. But for those of us that use Twitter for customer service, we learn really quickly that it's a fantastic vehicle. And so I think the expectation for customer service changes. And I'm just wondering whether you see that as well. Yeah, that's a very good point. I definitely agree that there is this uh, paradigm shift, especially among uh, millennials, that the fact that you know, we're used to waiting in line or waiting on hold for 45 minutes, but then you know you can multitask. You can actually send off a tweet, wait for the airline or whoever it is to reply, and they're actually working in the background while you can take care of other stuff. You don't have to be on your phone the entire time. Like this is something new, but it's just so convenient for us. And I feel like there's really um, a movement towards that. Our own user research that we've done has showed that indeed people do expect this. I believe the stat is that 20% of users are getting responses from brands. So basically, the majority of people are not getting any responses from brands. That's a pretty low stat, and that's something we want to raise there. But of those people who did get a response, when we asked them and probed a little bit further, they said that they felt overwhelmingly much more positive towards that brand. And this is definitely very true for the, um, the 18 to 34 segment when we did this research. So I, I definitely think that this is a, a shift. It's something that brands need to get on board. A lot of them already do it very well on Twitter, especially the airlines. But uh, the fact that for many brands, a lot of them are still not responding to all these inquiries is still some there's still some room for improvement there. And that's why we did this research was we thought it was a win win for all of us. So from the Twitter perspective, we know that users, when they get responses from brands, they definitely uh, indicate much more satisfaction of Twitter overall as a platform. They value it. They see what's used for, but also they value these brands much more highly. And so it's not a zero sum game here. We think it's just it's going to be better for uh, the ecosystem as a whole, better for everyone online as a whole. if They continue to just do better at this. 
Cool. So, Wayne, why don't you um, give us an overview of the methodology of the study that you performed late last year? Absolutely. So the main two goals for this study were, one, uh, to, of course, get brands to respond more to customers on Twitter. As I mentioned, we want to show this is a win-win situation. And more largely, the second goal is to prove out that customer service has actual value. Uh, we want to empower customer service agents. I mean, they have really tough jobs out there. They're dealing with irate customers uh, for very long days and nights. And so we want to quantify it and show that there is something out there, that there is something very important being done by these people. And so we started out first with airlines because to us it was the quintessential customer service experience. First of all, there's lots and lots of tweets that are sent to airlines. It's it's one of the biggest verticals for us. There are over 100,000 tweets sent to airlines that are customer service related per month. And also it has a, affords us a very large sample size, which is great for the study because we want to get as large of a sample as possible. And we want to really try and dig in and see the value uh, that people put on these airlines. Now, like in the most ideal world, what I would do if you know I had wanted to do some kind of crazy experiment was, you know, I would take like the Twitter audience, divide it into half, and then let one half uh, go into the test group, and we'll say that for them, airlines can respond to them, and then for the other half, we'll tell the airlines just ignore those people from now on. If they ever have customer service inquiries in the future, just ignore them. I mean, that would be the most cleanest, ideal way to do this. But of course, it's completely impossible to do that, and it's totally unethical too. And so we have to basically look at everything in post. So we have to let the customer service interactions happen, and then we're going to look at it afterwards and see how people value the airlines. Traditionally, a lot of the customer service research out there, at least when I've been looking at in the research that's been done so far, it's been focused a lot on hypotheticals. So it will say something like, you'll approach customers and you'll directly ask them, so would you be willing to pay more if you had great customer service? And everyone will say yes, of course. So the problem with that, and I think brands view this somewhat skeptically, and rightfully so, is that it's a hypothetical. Uh, we actually have no idea if people actually mean what they say. I've also seen some studies where they actually ask these consumers, how much more would you be willing to pay for better customer service? And you know, consumers will say $10, $20, um, they'll throw some number out there. But again, we have no idea of how to actually verify if that's true or not. So that's, that was the problem that we saw when we approached this field. And we didn't want to just do a survey quite like that because one, I think we'd be overestimating the value of customer service. If you ask people, you know, how much do you value customer service? Likely they're probably going to tell you some high number you have no idea of actually knowing if that number is high or not. And so we didn't want to just do that. Uh, we wanted the study to have lots of credibility. So that's where we did some more digging. And then we actually landed on a technique called conjoint analysis, which is a relatively new market research technique. And it was developed in the 70s by marketing professors at MIT and Wharton. And basically what conjoint analysis is, is instead of asking people on a survey to tell us what they want, we get people to show us actually how they behave. And so the two advantages of, of that is, one, it takes it allows us to take a complex purchasing decision, like which airline should I fly? And we can deconstruct that into little pieces. We can figure out what's really going on inside the consumer's mind. We can figure out like how much they value the brand, so the airline. How much do they value the fact it's aisle or window seats? How much do they value the on-time arrival rate? And the other advantage is it's realistic. It's uh, it's showing, it's not telling. It basically, when they take a conjoint analysis, it's a survey, but they're given 
different bundles to choose from. It's kind of like if you're going to Orbitz or Expedia and you punch in uh, which cities you want to fly to on what date, and they throw back this matrix of airlines and fares and uh, seat availability. It looks exactly like that. So you're asked to choose between these different options. And what that does is it forces consumers to make trade-offs. Consumers will always say they want the, the, the lowest price and the best quality, but they can't have both at the same time. So what we do is we give them these options to choose from. They're forced to make trade-offs. And then we can watch as they do these exercises. And from watching how they choose between these bundles, we can actually discern some kind of pattern about how they value price, how they value airlines. Do they prefer, let's say, hypothetically, United over American? As you watch them choose between these different options, then that's where you start to get a pattern that emerges. Um, and so that's what the beauty of it is, is that here we, these users had no idea why they were doing these conjoint analyses. But from there, we can deduce very, very powerful insights that consumers who did not get a response from airlines in, in the past six months, those consumers definitely valued those airlines less than the consumers who did get a response from airlines. And so, in fact, we found that it was about a $9 difference between the baseline group versus the group that had got responses from airlines. And these consumers had no idea why they were taking this survey. It's just that from watching them do these exercises, we were able to deduce that they did value these airlines more highly. And so, Wayne, that's actually where I was going to jump in. So the first finding that you, that you called out in your study was that replying to tweets actually does have a revenue-generating potential. Can you expand on that a little bit further than what you just said? Yeah, definitely. So the way this study is constructed is we looked at all these tweets that were sent in 2015. These are all real interactions on Twitter. So we divided them into two. So we had users who tweeted at major U.S. airlines and they got a response back. We were able to detect if the airline responded. And we are also able to see how fast the airline responded to, which is great. The other group of people, these are the ones where we could not identify any response back from the airline. So we have these two groups of people. We also have a group of people who flew by airplane um, in 2015, but they didn't tweet at any airlines. And that's our baseline group. So we have these groups and we basically administer this conjoint survey to them. So they come on Twitter. They're asked to take a quick survey. They have no idea which group they're in. They're just to them, it's kind of like a fun exercise where they're being asked, you know, which airlines and price combinations do you prefer? And then from there, we're able to deduce exactly how much each of these flyers value the airlines. And even more so, we can tie that back to the group that had interactions with airlines. We can know exactly which airline they responded to, they had a response to. So if it was United that they interacted with and got a response to, then we can go and see if they value United more highly, for instance. And so by doing this over and over again, we can actually see how much more the customer service aspect of it adds to a brand's value. So Wayne, you're proving that there is revenue potential for the brands, but tell us what's in it for Twitter. I mean, you said that some of your other research is focused on uh, paid advertising, and I think the, the revenue opportunity for Twitter there is pretty clear. So tell us a little bit about why this is so important to Twitter. Yeah, I think that uh, for us, it's a virtuous cycle. So we do know that um, users who get responses back from brands, 
you know, they're valuing those brands more highly, but they also are valuing Twitter more highly too. They're, they're getting it. And we think that this, this virtuous cycle of as users get to see that brands respond to them and they finally get what the platform is worth. And then they, they become just basically heavier tweeters. They become more accomplished tweeters. They can see the value in the platform. And so that's just good for us too. You know, I think like we're just getting started in terms of customer service too. And there's many, many ways we can expand this further and make it easier. But for now, I think we're just really content in seeing, we just want to get users to have more positive interactions with brands because that's really where we think uh, the light bulb goes off for users. And they're like, oh, like, this is what makes Twitter so unique and different from, say, a Facebook or a Snapchat. It's this unique combination of public, but also you can take conversations private. It just really is a differentiating factor for us. Cool. And, and Wayne, one of the things I liked about the research that you've done and the way you set up the methodology is that it gave you the ability to actually look not just at whether or not people had had responses, but how quickly they were receiving those responses. And I know your second finding was uh, that the quicker a brand replies, the more revenue potential exists. Can you talk a bit more about that one? Yes, yes. That's my favorite aspect of it all. Uh, when I saw that curve, that uh, basically the faster you respond, and then the higher willingness to pay you have. I was just so ecstatic because I was not expecting that at all. But it definitely confirms uh, what our hunch is, is that when you get a quick response, it's totally unexpected. You know, I think the expectation is maybe they'll respond to you within an hour or so. Obviously, by email, it's, it's a longer response time that's expected. But for Twitter... To get responses that quick, it really, like, again, people remember that because it's just busting through their expectations. I personally have had interactions with these airlines where I think it was once with Virgin Atlantic, actually, where I just tweeted at them for no particularly good reason. I was just experimenting and they responded back in three seconds. And this was, I think it was like six in the morning in the UK. So, you know, I, I just... It was totally unexpected. They didn't have to do that, but the, the quickness of that response time just blew me away, and I'll always remember that as a result. And so the curve that we see from that you're referring to is that basically when um, these brands responded in less than six minutes, we saw $20 higher willingness to pay. Whereas if you, you take over an hour, that diminishes to only about $2 willingness to pay. Now, you can... Think of that a couple of different ways. One is that, well, you know, even though it's been over an hour, you can still respond and still add some value. But on the other hand, it's just really striking how that falls so quickly. Basically, after six minutes or so, then it starts to fall really quickly and you get down to about $8 and then soon $2. So basically, every minute really counts here. And the reason why we picked those minutes, so we say less than six minutes, had the highest willingness to pay, is just because those were the top 25% of response times was less than six minutes. So a lot of airlines are doing a pretty good job of it. But on the other hand, we have some airlines, too, who are responding in over a thousand hours, so over a month to respond. And so that's kind of the tail end there. And, you know, we still see a little bit of value being added there. But really, the low-hanging fruit is really within those less than six minutes. Just go in there and scoop it up. Really, even just acknowledging someone's tweet, even though you can't solve it at that moment, that can really add a lot of value. So I know there's a lot of people listening right now that are saying, yeah, that's great, but the airlines have you know, huge staffs and I'm one person and there's no possible way I can respond in six minutes. And so tell us a little bit about what maybe smaller companies should take from this. And is it still that 
answering in a half an hour is infinitely better than answering in an hour, which is better than answering in half a day or a day, it, does the same trend apply? Yeah, I would say like it's definitely a hierarchy. I would say, first of all, as a very you know, base first step is definitely try to respond to everything, even if it is some kind of acknowledgement that you know, there is some concern, you know, we're working on that. Just send off something that's really quick. Um, you don't have to solve it. We find also that when you, you personalize it, you add your initials, people seem to like that as well. And then, of course, from there, work up towards responding fast. And, you know, it's definitely difficult to, to triage when there's lots and lots of requests coming in. But at the very least, we think the best solution is to try and at least acknowledge it quickly. And then people know then you're working on it and they can kind of go back to their own state of affairs. They can concentrate on something else instead of just getting, you know, sitting there wondering, like, why you haven't responded yet. And just meanwhile, getting all the more frustrated. So it's definitely, you know, there's definitely some prioritization that goes on there. But I think the most interesting aspect of it is that here, like, no matter what kind, what the response was, as long as it was fast, there definitely was a lot of value added there. And Wayne, finding number three, responding to tweets drives high satisfaction, higher satisfaction than other channels. Can you talk more about that one? Yep. So... The remaining findings in this survey are actually self-reported, so they're not part of the conjoint. The conjoint is just the, that more unique aspect of it is just the willingness to pay part of it. The remainder of the survey is what the respondents did after they took the conjoint survey. So here we start asking them questions about satisfaction. Do you recall even tweeting at this airline? If you did recall it, uh, how satisfied were you with that experience? And then we ask them additional questions, too, about you know, how likely are you to recommend this airline and so forth. And the satisfaction aspect of it was uh, really cool. We looked at three groups there. So one, we looked at those who did not get a response. And we also looked at those, of course, who did get a response. And we also looked at people who reported that they didn't use Twitter for anything and were able to verify that, too, on the back end. But they said that they used other channels for customer service. So this could be email or phone or in person. And the interesting thing here is that basically if you don't respond, satisfaction was, of course, very low. It was out of a five-point scale for the group that did not get a response. Um, they got up 2.7, so it's basically a C plus. For the group that did use other channels for customer service, so email or other social media or phone, uh, basically they gave a B plus score to it. But the ones who used Twitter and who got a response back, they gave almost a four on that, so basically an A minus. Um, so they definitely were much more happy with this. Uh, and again, even though sometimes the agent was not able to resolve it, but the fact that they got a response really uh, contributed to this. So we think again, like, at least some kind of acknowledgement, which definitely exceeds expectations. And then working in the meantime to to solve their issue still drives higher satisfaction. So I think that's really interesting. And we talk about this a lot on the podcast about whether it's a good idea to just respond quickly, even if you don't have the answer, just to let somebody know that you're working on it. And so we talk about KPIs and a lot of people jump to response time, but really from a customer perspective, resolution time is probably more important. But it sounds like what you're saying is that your research is saying that that response time is critical, even if there isn't an answer, because at least the customer then feels like, hey, my problem's being worked on, and I might understand that it takes a little bit longer to actually get to resolution. Am I reading that right? Yeah, that's right. 
Definitely, yes. We looked at all responses, so it includes airlines who sometimes just said, you know, we're working on it, and also includes airlines that were able to resolve immediately. And in either case, pulled together, we definitely saw this difference that these that the group of people who got a response were much happier with their experience. Again, it doesn't mean that you should just take your time to to resolve something because in the end, we saw the customers said that, that you know. We asked them if the airline resolved their issue or not, and that also was correlated satisfaction there. But at the very least, we also know that no matter what the response was, these people were also more satisfied. And then, Wayne, the, the last thing that you reported finding was that a satisfied Twitter user was more likely to talk about that, that customer service experience than people that had been serviced through other channels. Is that reading it right? That's right. So this is about the amplification issue. So one of the questions we asked in the survey was for the Twitter users who did use Twitter for customer service, and we looked at their satisfaction. If they were satisfied, uh, we asked them, did you share this with any friends or family? And we asked that same question to people who reported not using Twitter at all, but maybe used a phone or email. And we saw two times likely in terms of amplification of like sharing it with uh, friends and family. So there's something innate about Twitter that makes it really easy to share. And also that expectation angle, again, they, they just weren't expecting it on Twitter. And then when the brand reaches out to them, they're like, oh, my God, like, that's that's crazy. Like, that's so that's so cool. And then they, they like retweet it or they say thank you for this. And then they um, talk to other people about uh, their experience there. So that's that's really good to see. I think that's another differentiating factor for us, too, is that people really feel inclined to to share their great experience here. Yeah, it's something actually Dan and I have spoken about a lot is both of us, I think, historically have been surprised at how many of our consumers are willing to retweet our customer service interactions with them, which when you think about it, you've got a customer giving us money for a service and we're then responding to them in a forum where they've publicly stated something about us. The the surprise angle there always kind of, I guess, surprises Dan and I that, that, that there's still not that expectation of a response that's still driving to that that advocacy around the experience. I was wondering, with, with your research or with anything you've done since, have you ever looked into the benefit of them spreading the word, like looking into the second tier, like their followers who are hearing about the amazing experience that you've had with social care with X brand? Yeah, that's a good question. It's something that we're going to continue looking at, the amplification angle. For instance, if someone says they're so happy with it, with this customer service experience, we want to see how many of their followers perhaps may have seen this as well. It's something that is what we're going to do that uh, hasn't been done yet. My guess is that yes there is that additional amplification angle there's also probably word of mouth too just like even off twitter yeah. um, you start to see people reporting that they uh, talk to other people about it and in fact in this particular survey that finding that you're referencing we didn't ask people specifically about twitter too we just asked them have you told anyone about your positive customer service experience and it's just very interesting to see that with the twitter folks it's just so much higher so Wayne, this is obviously awesome research, super stoked to have had you on and kind of talking through it. I can probably guess what your takeaways are, but I really want to ask if you were in the room with some brands today and kind of talking about this and, and to you know, your goals of the research, which was getting brands to respond more on Twitter, what advice would you be giving them? Yep. So I would say 
that you need to always exceed expectations. And this is actually a quote that I, I've cribbed from our CEO, Jack Dorsey, but he loves to say it, and I'll say it too, which is expect the unexpected and whenever possible, be the unexpected. So, you know, for airlines, obviously there's a lot of stuff going on. It's very difficult sometimes when, when all hell breaks loose. But whenever possible, exceeding those expectations, it really, really drives emotions in a, in a very unexpected way. I like to think of it as a, a pyramid. So similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, at the very top is meeting unrecognized needs. And that's where it's super, super powerful. That's where you get lots of evangelism from customers when you go out of your way to meet needs that they hadn't even thought of before. That's what drives really loyal customers. That's, for instance, when an airline responds to me in less than six seconds. I just totally wasn't expecting that. And I think it's, that's very powerful because it's a very strong social signal, too. Twitter, you can think of as basically a, a, like a, a street corner, basically, where there's hundreds of millions of people just talking at once. And sometimes when you're tweeting at a brand, you're basically saying, like, hello, like, I need help here. Can you please help me? Hello, are you going to respond to me? And when the brand doesn't respond, I mean, it's just it's just not very good social practice in real life. And it's the same thing online, too. And so when you do respond, it's a it's a very strong social signal that the airline or whatever brand this is really takes customers very seriously. It means that their customer service agents feel really empowered to help you. They're willing to go above and beyond it's just a strong signal to the customer that they should engage in a social relationship with you, that you will save them time in the future. You are a value to them. You can be trusted when they need you in the future. You will be there for them. Just those 140 characters can really send that message to them and make it stick in their minds. That's what this research is showing. And so, again, just like something very small, but it's just so powerful when you just reach out and say, oh, I, you know, I understand, like, here's here's what we're doing. Just something really short, just to acknowledge their concern. It can really make a huge difference there. And I think like this goes for also employees too. these customer service reps. They need to feel empowered to make that difference. Basically, the prestige and reputation of a brand is centered around that one person in that one second. And so when that person reaches out and just says, you know, I'm here to help you. Like, that's really, really powerful. Just takes a few seconds, but it makes a huge difference. We're talking with Wayne Huang from Twitter. He's a researcher there and has been doing some great work trying to get at the actual revenue potential for brands who are answering questions from their customers on Twitter. And obviously, that's something that we love to talk about on this podcast. So we're really happy that there is a direct connection to revenue. You can find Wayne on Twitter, of course, at Wayne Y. Huang. That's W-A-Y-N-E capital Y, capital H-U-A-N-G. And I want to remind our listeners again that we have a hashtag on Twitter, which is F-O-C-S. It stands for Focus on Customer Service. And that's a hashtag we use to listen to you when you have brands that have been doing a great job on Twitter or other social media uh, networks. And you want to tell us about them so that we can have them on the podcast. We've gotten some great, great brands in previous episodes, a number of brands that, frankly, I've never even heard of before we talked to them, uh, and they're doing some fantastic things. Clearly, uh, if they hadn't already seen Wayne's research, they know that they're, uh, they're benefiting from the results. So, Wayne, we wanted to finish up by kind of asking you to put on your Nostradamus hat here for a moment and um, just give us a sense for where you think – 
customer service is going in Twitter. So you've mentioned a lot of really interesting facts. You started with the fact that a really small percentage of brands are actively responding still today, which continues to shock me. You've also mentioned, of course, that those who are doing it are finding monetary gains. And Twitter, as we learned from your colleague Jeff Lesser in a previous episode, seems to really be trying to become the customer service channel of choice. And uh, so I'm not asking you to share any secrets, but more just your opinions about where do you think this is going to go when we look a year or two from now? What is the customer service landscape going to look like? Yeah, definitely. So on the Twitter end, we're definitely working to make things a lot easier for our users. Uh, We understand that although Twitter is still the place that most people go for their customer service, um, it's still a little bit difficult to use. Uh, You know, my mom would not be able to use it because of the, you know, you have to follow to DM and then you have to send your private information elsewhere. We know that there's like broken windows there that we need to fix. Um, And so you actually have seen that in the past couple of weeks, we rolled out a couple changes to really improve this this experience and make a seamless experience for users. So the first uh, change that we made was we're allowing people to take public conversations to private in a very seamless way. So uh, when you tweet at an airline or a hotel chain, for instance, and you say you have a problem, but you need to send some sensitive information like your confirmation code or so forth, we now have this um, link that shows up and it'll take you directly into a private messaging environment. No DMs or following or anything weird like that that, that, that would require. So we're going to make that seamless and easier to use. Second of all, we're also going to start letting customers provide feedback in terms of their tweet experience. So if the customer service rep helped a lot, then you're able to give them a net promoter score at the end. So one through 10. And that will allow brands to also get better too and start collecting feedback. And this will help create a virtuous circle where brands can also measure how well they're doing customer service. So those are like two very basic things we're doing so far. But we could, we're really just getting started here. We're going to make things much more seamless and, and easy to use and very intuitive to use. And I think like the speculating here too, that we're going to move towards not just on Twitter, but also in other channels such as Facebook and so forth into a more proactive environment where you don't have to tweet or send a message to someone because your bag was lost. And instead, uh, we can start to collect information about perhaps the fact that multiple passengers have the same problem. And we know that and we can start to push that information out to you because we now know who you are. We know which flight you took. It'd be great if we started pushing that information directly to you and you can then take action on that instead of you having to you know, stand at the, the baggage claim waiting for it. That's where I think a lot of the value will really be added over the next five years. It's just being much more proactive instead of forcing the users to take the first step. So, you know, nothing specific on that, but uh, I do think that is where the industry is going and it'll be very, very helpful when it does get implemented. Wayne, I have to say this has been an absolute pleasure having you on and kind of hearing you talk through some of this stuff from both myself and Dan. Thanks for making the time for joining us tonight, but also huge thank you for doing this research. I think there's a lot in here that makes a lot of sense. And it's always nice when you see an independent independent piece of research that actually backs up a lot of the stuff you believe. So thank you both for the research and for finding stuff that Dan and I agree with. Yes, certainly. Thank you very much for having me on. And I agree, like just... 
having your intuitions confirmed, that's definitely the best part here. And uh, I'm an optimist by heart, so it's good to see that uh, we were all right all along. Us too, for sure. And listen, I know I'm sure you're going to be doing some more research in the space. We'd love to have you back on whenever you mm-hmm. get anything done and kind of have anything else more you want to share with the community. I think there'll be a lot of people listening to this that I think are really, really going to enjoy the perspective that you've brought to the conversation. Absolutely. Yep, we're hard at work at more. Great. Well, Thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Tune in next time for episode 28. Good night, guys. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Service podcast presented by Social Media Today. Be sure to tweet your thoughts and nominations for other brands to be featured using hashtag FOCS. And follow Dan and Dan on Twitter at DGingus and at I am Dan Moriarty. See you next time.